We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. All right, what's up, everybody? Mike Trudell here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. No Darius and no Pete today. Bit of a special, unique episode, and I have recruited a guest. His name is Dr. Robbie Sika. Dr. Sika has been working with NBA, NFL, and Major League Baseball teams for a number of years now. Man, I mean, served in all kinds of different capacities. Basically, Robbie, uh, and I call him Robbie because he's also, you know, my best friend from childhood, uh, but about keeping players on the quarter field for as much as possible. So he's been a front office executive for several teams, currently employed by the Yankees and the Broncos, also running your consulting company, Smart. Is that sports medicine analytics research uh, team, Robbie? Yeah. Yep. Okay. It is. It is. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, got it. Dr. Thanks for Sita. having me here today. Can I call you Robbie or do I have to refer to you as Dr. Sika on unofficial capacities here on the podcast? You can call me Robbie or Dr. Robbie, um, whatever floats your boat. Okay. Well, alas, I, I asked you to come on here and I was talking to Darius <laughs> and Pete about this because there's been a lot of talk coming out of the all-star break about player health, about load management, games played, games missed. And while the Lakers are in a particular situation right now, Robbie, that they are a mostly healthy. Um, D'Angelo Russell is doubtful to play uh, in the Dallas game. But other than that, they're mostly healthy. LeBron continues to manage sort of a foot ankle thing uh, that he'll be dealing with probably as the season goes on. But they're mostly healthy and they have to win games. There's not there's not going to be any, you know, them wanting to rest players just to do it right. There's no there's no rebuilding process going on. They're essentially trying to gear up to make a run towards the playoffs. But several of the teams that they're going to be playing are in this other kind of netherworld of the NBA where for on, on a random night, you know, to, as we're recording, it's Saturday night and just various guys around the league aren't playing. And sometimes it's it's for a very specific injury. Sometimes it seems like it's not necessarily. And I'd like for you to try uh, and, and just give us some overarching perspective for somebody that's been on training staffs, run training staffs. What what do you make of the way that the NBA has evolved to, to the point to where we're at right now? So the first thing is, I'm just going to speak. 
on behalf of someone who loves Anthony Edwards and was involved in the process of selecting someone like an Anthony Edwards when I was with the Timberwolves. The bottom line is I completely agree with him. Look, guys should play. And it should be up to medical staffs and training staffs to get guys ready to play games. That's their job. That's what they are supposed to do. At the same time, we have a very, very different game than what was played 20 years ago. And I think it's a great time to have this discussion because the game has evolved. The world has evolved. We're in a very, very different situation than we were even three years ago. But we need to take stock in what is the data and how we develop these players and why players do get hurt and help people to understand there are a lot of factors. And so pointing at, at one thing is really probably not the most productive thing. But I do think yeah. that I always support curiosity. It's one of the things that I've always enjoyed talking to you, Mike, is like, you're a very curious person. You ask questions. That's what this is about. It's about asking the right questions so that teams can... Including, including by the, the way, right time. anytime I have any kind of ailment whatsoever um, that, that may not be Robbie's specific uh, specialty or Dr. Sika's, and I will just text yeah. you, including pictures of things, um, you know, like bro- broken... Uh, broken toes, whatever, any kind of thing that that might be happening to me or or my family members, um, especially the kids. So we appreciate that. Thanks, Doc. No problem. No problem. Here, let me let me point you to let me put let me put Robbie, let me point you to a a tweet from Stan Van Gundy as kind of a a discussion point here. And I think you guys probably remember this, but Stan, this is when Kevin Durant got involved. But here's the tweet. 90s NBA teams had just a trainer and a strength coach. They practiced more often and harder and played more back to backs. Teams now have huge medical and performance staffs and value rest over practice. Yet injuries and games missed are way up. Something's not working. So KD responded, Stan spitting. Stan didn't quite understand that terminology. And went back, went back at KD with the no, I'm not criticizing players, dot, dot, dot. And then Durant, uh, Stan, I agree with you, LOL. <laughs> so this was this was fun. But I, I think a lot of people looked at that tweet and, and kind of thought, well, yeah. And I'm always having these kind of conversations with Michael Thompson, right, who played in the 70s and 80s. And like just trying to understand. So this is, I want to just put Stan's tweet into your, like when it popped up on your feed, what were your thoughts and what can you tell us about that? Okay. So I'm a numbers guy. So let's, let's call a spade a spade. The reality is the games lost due to injury have trended up for some time. Okay. So where we were five years ago, we have more games lost due to injury today than we did five years ago. You're, you're but now let's look at the real in that. Yep. Everything. Okay? Okay. Everything, everything. Okay. We have bigger rosters. We have more teams. We have the same number of games. But yes, games lost due to injury or due to illness are going to go up when you have 17 player rosters. You have G League players. You have a variety of different things. But now let's look at the differences between a 90s player and a player today. Let's not talk about you know players going to Atlantic City and gambling and you know doing stuff and all the different nightlife things that were going on in the 90s versus today. The average age of an NBA player in the late 90s was 28. The average age of a player today is 26. So you have meaningfully different players that are now playing from 18 to 26. They're playing 82 games. They're not playing 32 college games. College seasons have even gotten longer. These players are playing more games with more miles. They are coming in. And also a lot have more, more miles as, as youth though, right, Robbie? Like also a lot more when they're so that's where, kids. That's where I'm going with this, okay? We have kids who, if you want to play in the G League or play college basketball, you have specialized in basketball from your freshman year. Who is the last 
high school phenom basketball player who played high school football, probably LeBron James. That was 19 years ago. We haven't had someone who's played high level high school football. Like when you want to play great high school or college basketball. It's Wayne Wright. Wasn't he a college football player? No, I, I get an exception, but you know, yeah, there, that's there's about not it. many, right? These guys are specializing, and we know that. And this is for your your parents out there who have their kids who are playing youth sports. Mike, you have your kids playing multiple sports. The reality is, specializing in one sport does a detriment to your training. And so, we have kids who are coming in who are 18, who've only played basketball, who've only trained a certain way with more miles, and they're getting hurt at 24. And guess what? When you have that car, for example, if you have a car that breaks down or has a, a an accident within that first year or two, that's going to impact you four or five years down the line. It's not a perfect body. It's not a perfect car. And so we have 24-year-olds who are now more injured 26-year-olds and more injured 28-year-olds. And if we really want to improve the health of players, this starts down in youth basketball. This starts with removing specialization. This starts with making it easier for kids to have the time to play multiple sports. So let's not get it twisted. This isn't necessarily just about NBA training staffs. This goes back down to youth sports in all sports, soccer, basketball, football, baseball. We have to do a better job. And so, yes, games lost due to injury are going up, but we also have players who are rehabbing and who are playing through things that they weren't playing before. And we'll talk a little bit more about how the game has changed and the types of injuries that have occurred. But I want to stop there and get your feedback on on that answer. Yeah. So that's I, w- I want to kind of just put another branch on the tree of that, because when you think about just watching NBA League Pass right now versus if you want to call up a game from the 80s and you know my podcast partners here Pete and Darius grew up watching the tail end of the Showtime Lakers and just go pull up we even like a, and, well we I was I was more watching the Bulls on WGN right at that time because it was the only thing I we was had watching in the Lakers hey yes, I, I enjoyed watching the Lakers as a kid especially as things got into the 90s but I miss like the the app other than getting to watch the finals which was about the only thing that would come on um, it, it, what was it, CBS and then eventually NBC? Yeah. That it was still the, the actual regular season games. The only thing that we could watch was the Bulls up until the point where the Timberwolves started in uh, 89 90. But the game was just slower. And this is where now, as a data guy and somebody who's worked in multiple sports, I'm curious here. So, is this part of the reason why injuries are up, uh, even if, like what Stan said, Stan and Gutty, if, if, games played and practices and all those things are down, but injuries are still up. Are these players bigger, faster, stronger, running more? You already mentioned the specialization part so that they've had more wear and tear on their, on their bodies um, at this, at the point when they're 24, then, you know, a guy that played four years in college and probably played other sports too growing up. So is that part of what the explanation is to this whole thing, the, the actual just differences in 2023 NBA basketball from 1989 basketball. So the first thing is the average weight of a center has come down about 20 pounds from the late nineties. The average weight of a guard has gone up by 15 pounds. One's guard fives, fives guard ones, 18 year old ones guard, 24 year old fives and vice versa. Positionless basketball has completely changed the way we play. And we do have less cutting. We have fewer ACLs than we did years ago, but we have more stopping and starting get to the rim, pull up for three. Those lead to more hamstring injuries, more Achilles tendon injuries, more soft tissue injuries. Soft tissue injuries are things that we tend to think of. I mean, let's face it, in the 90s, how did you find out about a player getting injured? Where did you find that information? Not Twitter, not the internet, 
You probably found out about it in a newspaper if they maybe picked it up. Newspaper, yeah. Yeah. I mean, things are different about how much media attention is paid to every little injury. The injury reporting is different. Now teams have to document stuff. You had the Miami Heat the other day who I think they reported every player with an injury because they got fined a, you know, a little bit before that um, for not reporting something. Let me stop you here because you just made like six good points. And I want to get back to you and I going through the, the Minneapolis Star Tribune at school and just looking at box scores so we could count our fantasy football or I'm, I'm sorry, well, football, but then and fantasy basketball scores. And the only thing in the box scores, right, were points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. That was it. They didn't even have field goal attempts. And so if there was an injury, it had to have been mentioned by the beat reporter. But let me shelve that for a second, because the point that you made that I want to stop on the way, like you just mentioned the different weight of the players at the different positions and the different types of injuries that are resulting because of the position of this basketball. And that is fascinating to me. So, like you having the fact that you work in the NFL and major league baseball, it seems that baseball hasn't really changed much other than like the sort of pitchers are throwing harder, right? Guys are hitting more home runs, but it's still fit mechanically. It's about the same game other than uh, yeah, no, I guess but pitchers they, but, throwing harder. But, but you, yeah. I mean, guys, guys are throwing 105 miles an hour. Like every pitcher is hitting high to mid nineties. Now, like Greg Maddox had a complete game with 78 pitches. Guys don't get through like the fourth inning now with 78 pitches. So the, the games have changed. Guys are stronger. You, the position, the number of possessions in a basketball game is higher than it's ever been before. They're up and down. Well, They're playing. And, a fast but how about tempo. NFL though? Like in, because the temp, because the game well, in basketball has changed as you discussed though. And that's the positionless stuff to me, just, it kind of opened up a light bulb for me and, Oh wait, maybe there you go. That's part of the reason why the injuries are up. But how about the NFL? Have, are you seeing that in the NFL? Yeah, football is going through the same thing where in football, everybody throws the ball now. And it's not that you're throwing the ball deeper. You, what you're seeing is that quarterbacks are more accurate than ever before. The idea of like, we're talking about this with Anthony Richardson and Josh Allen is one of the only guys who actually improved his accuracy. Can Anthony Richardson do that at the NFL combine? That's what one of the big hot button issues is. But the reality is like quarterbacks are completing 65 to 70% of their passes. Now they're throwing into space. We live in the corner three NBA era. We're finding it's the space and pace era of the NFL. Now, how quickly can you run an offense? How do you get the ball into space? How do you get the ball into your playmaker's hands? You're running more drag routes. You're running more routes where there's picks and there's rub routes and these space creating plays where you saw it in the Super Bowl. Everybody's running motion. This is where I live. Like just th this is the part that's fun for me is thinking about how do you take a player who's maybe coming off an injury on the opponent's side and actually take advantage of them and attack their weaknesses because, Hey, that guy's coming off a hamstring strain. That guy's coming off a groin strain. What do you do to actually take advantage of them? These are the tactical things that I, I get excited about when I work with the team, because we find play calling advantages and we find strategic advantages for how to actually help a team uh, on game day. And we do it in basketball. We do it in football. We've done it in baseball. And th these are the, the nuanced things that I think the sophisticated teams are trying to take advantage of. Okay. So one question for you before we take a break and uh, change, change what we're talking about just a little bit, but with the NBA, now that accounting for some of the things that you just said and the difference in injuries and uh, the way that certain teams are approaching it differently from others, 
Some medical staff seem to be more conservative than others. People will point to the Clippers just based on how many guys are actually on the floor. Um, Other teams, it's hard to tell because they're either really young or like actually trying to win games. There's there's a lot of variance, I guess. So what is the way when you're advising teams? Yeah. So like what what is the sort of what is an optimal type of a way uh, to approach the modern NBA? In terms of injuries, I think the first thing is, you know, I always, I have a saying with, when I work with teams is data is data, people are people. You got to apply a number back to a human being. You've got to be able to relate to them and help that individual understand why this number is important. And I know we'll talk a little bit about load management, Mike, but, you know, the concept of load is w- what is really load? Like, let's talk about baseball for a second. What is load? Is load, if you're throwing with a, you know, two and two count, in the eighth inning of a playoff game. But is that a high stress, like a high uh, intensity pitch? Probably. Well, what if you're throwing that same game in April, that same scenario? Well, maybe it depends upon who you're facing. If you're facing Aaron Judge, it might be a, a serious deal because it's the seventh inning and it's a close game and maybe it's Boston versus New York. So what is stress? What is volume? What is load? What is intensity? These are the words that we use and we throw around. And what I would tell, you know, the listeners is for the most part, think about load as, you know, there's all the different things that you need to to do over the course of the day. And the volume is the total number of cumulative things that you have to do over the course of a day. And the intensity is how focused do you need to be to get that done? And how much do you need in that moment to actually finish a paper or finish a project or whatever it may be to relate it back to the office, office location? And my principle is the highest volume should be the month before the season, the preseason. And your volume should come down over the course of the season because you're like, you go through it. And I talk to you like we're doing this, you know, a late hour for you. Um, But the reality is travel does catch up with you. Like there's nights where I've talked to you, like, didn't you guys get stuck for like seven hours when I was with the wolves? Like we basically like stayed overnight on a plane a few times because we couldn't take off. This year, got into Denver it at seven, it, seven in the morning. Yeah, yeah, like those things add up, and then you're playing a game that day. So, how do you account for that volume? So, volume comes down over the course of the season, but your intensity as a percentage of your total volume should come up. And this was the the principle that we ran with the Wizards. This was what we tried to do with the Timberwolves, and it frankly did result in us being in the top ten in games lost due to injury. We were a top, you know, we were a top team for each of those five years. And I was proud of that fact, but there's a lot of other ways to measure medical staff's performance. And there's a lot of other ways to look at, you know, like, Hey, if you're a young team, you should probably have less injuries, right? If your players are younger and they have less wear and tear. I think the most impressive, one of the most impressive medical staffs in the NBA is Oklahoma city. They've done it with old players. They've done it with young players. They've developed players. They help players get back. Like they're really, really good. And they play hard. That's a well example of a great medical staff. They do a great job. And how about how about managing sort of like the mental side of things? For example, when I would beat you over and over in NBA Jam, you know, was it difficult for you to kind of uh, to sort, sort of figure out what you could, how you could recover mentally? I mean, I used to own you in NFL Blitz, but I will say to, to those of you who are listening, that is true. That's not um, true. And I'll play you anytime. But I think. <laughs> You know, for the, for those that are listening, Mike is very good at ping pong, and I fully admit, like he gets in my head, and it is tough, and it wears <laughs> on me. But yeah, the mental mental stuff, you know, we'll keep this PG. The mental stuff definitely wears on you. 
um, I've definitely had to like, you know, talk to myself a little bit after I lose you. Think about this. It, it <laughs> well, does look, take, take a toll. It's an important concession. And you did, you did develop an amazing NFL blitz strategy, which you were, you stole from me because I, I had the, I had the advantage early on and I don't know, Please. you figured something out, you figured something Please. out and kept peppering it. And so that's the one thing that you did consistently beat me in. And I can't hide from that. I can't run from that. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to look at the what's coming ahead here at, at this kind of stretch run uh, for the Lakers and some of the teams that they're going to play and how we can apply some of the thinking that uh, Dr. Sika has applied. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right. Uh, so once again, Dr. Robbie Sika joining us here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. And at the time of recording, uh, before the Lakers take on Dallas, uh, likely without D'Angelo Russell, but everybody else healthy, they are somehow, despite being in, in 13th place, uh, just two games out of the number seven seed and three and a half games out of the six seed. Now, if they're able to beat Dallas, that would go to two and a half. And with this many games left, that is a that is a, a decent position to be in, especially considering you have the teams that are directly in front of them. Every one of them, except for Utah, has lost six of ten. So OKC, New Orleans, Minnesota, Golden State, um, all of those teams are four and six in their last ten and sort of trending in the other direction. So, Robbie, as the as the Lakers start to get some of these mashups uh, with various teams, some some of them maybe wanting to veer towards the lottery. You could put Utah in that camp. Uh, we'll see if New Orleans continues to struggle without Zion. At a certain point, do they think about that? Uh, does OKC, with what they've done the last couple of years, do they think about it? How do you feel about this whole balance of kind of trying to improve as a team, get your young guys playing better, but then you know still kind of sitting guys out and and like being able to point to something, oh, a, a sore back or an ankle or knee management. Like, how often do you think these things are constructs versus just these? These are all parts of what we were talking about before um, with the increase in injuries for various reasons. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it's just a reporting anomaly. I mean, the reality is like like teams like the Philadelphia Eagles, Seattle Seahawks, and the NFL, they've been really good about playing young guys early in the year, getting them reps, getting them important, you know, moments so that they can play late in the year. You guys are an example of that, like getting Austin Reeves minutes, like it's going to pay dividends for you come April, May, right? Like having him be able to play and hit some big shots has been really important for you guys down the stretch because you've used him. I think when you look at a team like the Lakers, that's for the most part, you know, the, the key guys, you know, in particular guys like Mando Malik, they've had injuries in the past, Elo, like these are veteran players. Uh, and then you've got your, your really young guys. Uh, and then obviously you've got uh, your senior vets like LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis. But the reality is like, you're kind of at that bifurcation where you're not a young team, like, okay, see you're Minnesota. You've got a decidedly older roster. So being able to manage minutes, being able to to maintain consistency is really important. You know, Minnesota, for example, obviously I live here, they, 13 of their last 21 games are against teams that are uh, over 500. You got 26 teams that think they're going to be a playoff team with the expansion of the the play-in scenario, there's a lot of teams that are playing hard. And I don't think you're going to start to see teams kind of, you know, say like, Hey, we're just going to go play our kids really probably until that last two weeks of the season. I think everybody thinks they're there. There's a value, whether you're Washington or Orlando um, or New York, like they're finding that, Hey, it's, it's important to win these games now because you're only also like three games out from the four seed for some of these teams. Um, particularly in the West where everybody seems to be jumbled. So injuries are going to be really important down the stretch, preventing injuries right now. You're going to see like golden States getting a lot of guys back. Um, Portland's, you know, dealt with stuff over the course of the season. Where are they going to fall? Uh, there's really only two teams in the West that are out of it. You mentioned Austin Reeves and, and to pause on kind of what the Western, the Western playoff picture looks like for a second. So Reeves Oklahoma for his last two college seasons, Wichita State uh, for his first two. And he had to take a redshirt when he transferred. So um, older in terms of like an actual college player. But that was part of the reason why he was able to actually be good and play last year because he's developed. But physically, this is where I think it's so interesting when you when you consider a medical doctor like yourself or a training staff and you guys coming together and trying to figure out this picture. Okay, so he played 25 games his senior year um, at Oklahoma, 34 minutes per game. And was able to stay like largely healthy. I think he did have one injury uh, through in, in that season, a minor one. And he gets to the NBA, but is not drafted and comes into a team where he has to kind of earn minutes um, right away from from Frank Vogel. And he quickly, while like while playing and playing well at the same time, he's starting to reach a minutes load, and particularly with the athleticism upgrade from the NBA to the NCAA that seems to be taking at least somewhat of a toll. And you could, Robbie, you could assign this to almost anybody in terms of the rookie wall, unless it's a guy like, you know, LeBron James that comes in built, uh, you know, like his body was crafted from the gods. Yeah, he's a freak. Then you get into the offseason, and Austin Reeves certainly does some stuff to improve his strength, and he works as hard as he can. But, you know, he's still, like, he then starts to play a bigger minutes load this season in the NBA. And then he seemed to tire and fatigue some again in like, right around December. And so I think that 
He is now on this trajectory, though, where like his off seasons become so important as he continues to sort of steal his body. But I wanted to use him as a, as a specific example. What do you think of of that from a medical standpoint and from a training staff standpoint? And you know, how do you how are you getting guys to transition from that that four year college experience that not as many NBA players have anymore, and then you know, kind of getting them yeah. physically up to speed to be able to take on that kind of uh, increase in athleticism and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, you think a lot about the shortened offseason that guys like LeBron, Anthony Davis, guys who play year after year into deep playoff runs have and how valuable that offseason becomes because, I mean, shoot, you, you don't really have too much time off before guys are back in September. Like September is really a work month. Like the re- really preseason starts at the beginning of September with these guys coming in. So the idea that how much time do you have to develop a new skill? Like how much time do you have to practice? Like if you don't have a corner three, how are you going to develop a corner three in six weeks of an off season and still be able to spend some time with your family, do some other stuff, like be able to enjoy it. Talking to a major league baseball athletic trainer, he was telling me, he's like, I get four weekends a year to see my family. It's a hard, hard grind. Baseball grind is wild. It is. But Mike, you, you deal with it too. And I, I deal with it, you know, because I work in three sports, three seasons, there's no off season. And so there's trade-offs and the people that you start to really see are the guys who develop are the guys who treat it professionally, the guys who come in and they have a consistency to their routine. Kobe's a great example. And the Lakers fans will appreciate this. You know, he comes in at five thirty-six in the morning, but he's out of there by noon. Because he's got other stuff to do. He's got family stuff. LeBron's the same way, but they come in, they do their work. They treat it like a job. And I think that's where you see that consistency day to day to day, where you come in, you get your shots up, you do your lift, you do your recovery, and you treat it very professionally. Those are the guys that you, you I think, become like, hey, I want to have that guy on my team. I want to draft that guy. This guy takes it seriously. They respect the craft. And I think you have guys that the Lakers have done a great job over the years of finding players in that second round, um, you know, in different places in, in free agency guys who are professional. I mean, look, I saw what Malik Monk did yesterday. He was a big part of your team the last couple of years too. Malik Monk was great yesterday in Sacramento. Um, and he's become a professional. And I think that's what Sacramento has also seen this year too. Like talk about a really unique scenario. And what's interesting, if we talk about the injuries, they lead the league in fewest games lost due to injury. They haven't been in that that group for a long time. Like those guys have been playing through stuff. So a lot of credit to them and how they've approached players who are tough and willing to to deal with the wear and tear. Yeah. So Sacramento has been that's that, that's been a team that I think I've been hard on in terms of I like I don't think that they're that good. But what you just pointed out, the fact that they've been among the healthiest teams, that makes a huge difference with regular season wins. Absolutely. Uh, they're, their offense Absolutely. has been terrific. Like, I don't think the defense holds up in the postseason. We saw we saw what they and the Clippers kind of going back and forth and all the scoring. But nonetheless, like you're right that that's that's part of what the feeling that they have, the vibe around the team, guys being willing to play through stuff and finding a way to establish some continuity has been a big boon for them. Now, does that transfer to the playoffs? I don't think so because I think everybody gets up to that level. But nonetheless, uh, that yeah, they're you, obviously a success story. That's the delta for them this year. That's the reason they're they're in playoff contention is because they've been able to stay healthy. Darren Fox has not been in that category. They haven't been in that group for a long time. So again, a lot of credit to them. Now, how do yep. you make that sustainable? How do you make that the OKC factor? Because that's why Oklahoma City has been so good for so long is they've been able to keep guys healthy. So you mentioned the 
Well, so good. So and the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, those teams have obviously been bad for the last several years, but they but they've been young and they lost some of their key players. They traded them away for draft picks, and and that's that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. But they the OKC does have a really good reputation in terms of developing young guys, uh, and we've seen that in in effect certainly for this year. But I want to point to something. I've I've termed it the bubble tax. And it's it's not I don't think it's still given enough attention, but the way that you describe the importance of an NBA offseason, both for a player to work on some things, to get better at some things and to certainly to work on his body and to recover or her body um, in the WNBA and in any other league. And by the way, that's a whole nother conversation. Women that have to have their own a professional league here and then go play in another professional league in Russia or Wild. Spain or wherever uh, that's, I, I don't know how, I don't think that's discussed enough, but to focus you uh, on, on one issue here. So the Lakers win the title in 1920 in October because of COVID, of course, it's all, you and I talk about this all the time. Sports is a metaphor for life. You were somebody that's been a leader in the space of uh, the pandemic and COVID research. And I know you spent, you spent a ton of time. Nobody knows more about it. So it's not a complaint, right? But it's just recognizing the reality that LeBron and AD, especially, and then some of the some of the players, the role players on that on that team, but they had to get ready for preseason a month after that season ended. And I could just see, I could hear in Anthony Davis's voice how he just was not ready, physically, mentally, for that coming season. And what happens? Well, basically, the entire team wears down and either gets hurt um, or just kind of hits a wall physically. And that's when, of course, they lose to Phoenix when AD goes out with the groin and and everything else. And it's just, I don't think they even recovered the next year when AD and LeBron come back and they had injuries pop up sort of in and out because the, the, the way that the schedule for those two had been built up to that point was so interrupted. Maybe they're at a point now where they're over that, but I just wanted to ask you about it because... They were the Lakers were one of two teams that, of course, made it to the finals. Miami went that long, too. But Denver and and Boston both struggled that that subsequent year as well. And I just I wondered from afar, you were working for the Timberwolves at the time who were not one of the bubble teams. But like, what did you see league wide and and how did you see that impact the next couple of years from it from an injury and a health standpoint? You know, um, we had our own little two-week bubble uh, in Minnesota. But, you know, look, there were a lot of times where guys were tired of coming in for the daily COVID testing. I mean, you know, Mike, you went through it too. Like, you know, we were testing sometimes more than once a day um, for game days. And it did did take a toll. Um, and it took a toll on broader society. And obviously, you know, this is not the topic of our discussion here is, you know, the importance of COVID testing and the importance of uh, test a treat and some of the other things that we have that are different today than they were three years ago. But the reality is, you know, we, we live in a world now where we understand that rest and recovery are really, really important and that the mental health aspects of everything that we do are really, really important. I think, you know, when I think back to, um, uh, players, um, who were, you know, having, injuries uh at that time and how they went through some of the things in terms of recovery and how limited they were in getting access to physical therapists and getting access to treatment um during the the bubble uh, it was really tough and i think getting access to treatment was very very challenging so it, it definitely took a toll on players and it's unfortunate 
There you go. I just wanted Dr. Seeger to confirm uh, to basically be able to blame the, the Lakers uh, season after the bubble on the bubble tax. So that that's, you know, it took you a second to get there, but you officially confirmed it. So thank you. I appreciate that. That's what happened. Okay. You're not, you're not, you're not acknowledging that that's what happened this time. You're just looking at me. Thank you. No, sorry. I, I th- thought I heard something upstairs. <laughs> All right, good. So that's an, that's an official acknowledgement. All right, that's fine. So, uh, all right, last last couple things before we let you go. Just uh, I, I want to pull back some of your some of what you've done in the NFL and MLB, and just like what are a couple of best practices that you've seen teams do in those sports that you think could be more applied to the NBA? And this could be on field, this could be training staff, this could be medical wise. Uh, what are what are a couple of things that we could learn from uh, from other leagues? I think the most important things are one, uh, the best teams in sports have a structure and leadership where there's good communication. And I think this applies to business, this applies to sports and medicine. You need to have good communication across your organization, how you share um, what's going on with your players. And that comes down to trust. And that comes down to building an accountability with people where you can be honest, honest about what you're feeling and, you know, the symptoms and the injuries that are going on. And, you know, whether it's COVID or whether it's knee pain, like the more honest you are uh, and the more transparent you are, I think that those organizations have uh, a better chance to be successful. The second is strong leadership where you have leadership who hold people accountable. They live it, they do it the right way. And whether it's, you know, um, a strong leader like Pat Riley, who, you know, lives it and he's out there like holding players accountable. Um, you guys have had great leadership across your medical staff with the Lakers for years. Those are the things that, that ultimately make a difference and push players. Um, and then the third thing is, you know, frankly, you need to have talented players. Um, and by that, I mean, players have to develop LeBron James is a much, much different and much, much better player than he was when he came into the league. And that's because he developed and he put on weight and he, you know, he looked like a, you know, a God as he came in, but he's developed and he's developed his game in a safe way, um, over time. And you have to have guys that work hard, uh, guys who love the game and that passion. Um, people tell me all the time, if you care more than the players, that's a problem. And I've been fortunate to work for a lot of clubs where the players care as much as the staff and the staff care as much as the players and everybody cares about the one thing, which is the main thing. And that's winning on the floor. And that's fun. Winning is fun. Um, but the process and being a part of it is, is a really enjoyable part of this too. And I think the, the good teams enjoy the process as much as they enjoy the winning. And it just kind of filters in like it's some one of the things I talked to you about the the media team that you guys have with the Lakers. You guys love working together. You love the process win or lose like you guys love working together. That's a cool thing to see from the outside, because I, I think when you have that kind of scenario, um, it's fun to be around. All right. Well, look, I really appreciate all the insight that I get to hear for often from you, but I thought would be would be cool to share with folks here. The Lakers have a, a real chance here uh, to push forward. One of the reasons being that they are um, as healthy as they have been all season. Knock on wood that D'Angelo Russell, uh, who Robbie, of course, knows well and worked with in Minnesota, along with Beasley and Vanderbilt. You know, as I'm giving the outro here, I feel like I have to I have to get a couple of nuggets from you. Just give me a minute's worth on the, the Beasley Vanderbilt Russell trio real quick before I, I, re, I redo that outro and get us actually out of here. Uh, all I can say is, you know, they're uh, a fun group and. Uh, Vando has really, uh, I think, been uh, a pleasant surprise for a lot of folks uh, in Minnesota and Utah and now L.A. Um, He's a high energy guy who works hard, 
Um, Malik is a, a fun personality to have around. And, you know, obviously when the shots fall on, he's electric and I think has a, a unique vibe around him uh, that people like to be around. And D'Lo is D'Lo, obviously a ton of talent there. All right, that's your that's your little thirty second clip there from the Timberwolves. I will continue to sprinkle that stuff in. Always, uh, we'll hear it once again as usual from Pete and Darius back on tomorrow's podcast, and uh, we'll see how the Lakers do against Dallas, setting up the rest of this trip and an important stretch run for the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, for Dr. Robbie Sika, I'm Mike Trudell. We'll see you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. One. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.